6640. Your future lies in 6640. 66 books by 40 authors, and yet we now discover it's an integrated message system from outside our time domain. Welcome to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher is Chuck Missler, connecting the Bible to your life and the world around you. In today's study, Chuck continues his teaching on the book of Jeremiah, chapters 40 through 44. So we have a group of uh, gorillas that end up in the hills, and um, uh, they become not only a problem, but the root source of some conspiracies and uh, plots and some real, real skullduggery. So that's what's being introduced here for the uh, good part for the rest of this chapter. So pick up verse 7. Now, when all the captains of the forces who were in the fields, even they and their men, heard that the king of Babylon had made Gedaliah the son of Ahikim, the governor of the land, and had committed unto him men and women and children and the poor of the land, of them that were not carried away captive to Babylon, then they came to Gedaliah, to Mitzpah, even Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, and uh, Johanan the, and, and Jonathan, the sons of uh, Kariah, and uh, Sariah, the son of Tanhamuth, or Tanhameth, and um, the sons of Ephi, the Nephthothite, not your everyday Nephthothite there, but anyway, and uh, Jezaniah, and the son of Machathite, they and their men. Now, there's a bunch of these guys. The one you want to watch for is a couple of them here to keep an eye on that you will see come up again and again through the story. Ishmael, who's the, the rabble-rousing leader of this bunch, and Johanan, who will show up also as a pretty rousing, pretty aggressive guy. Now these guys, I get the impression, were professional military guys. They are revolutionaries. They're, uh, I, I, if I, I visualize them with sidearms, they're, they're not uh, you know, anything but uh, aggressive. Now, the one thing, well, I'll come to that later. I'll come to that later. Um, yeah, let's just go on, and then I'll plug you. There's some background that'll help you understand the story, but but uh, let's keep moving here. Verse, uh, verse uh, 9. And Gedaliah, the son of Ahikim, the son of Shephim, swore unto them and to their men, saying, Fear not to serve the Chaldeans. Dwell in the land and serve the king of Babylon, and it shall be well with you. Now, what's behind this, or at least apparently suggested, is that these guys were renegades. They were in the fields, meaning they had hid out. They were in the mountains, and they'd heard, not only they obviously knew that Jerusalem had fallen, but when they heard that Gedalia was put as the local governor and set up administrative headquarters, Mizpah, they go there. Apparently, Gedalia had the authority to grant them some kind of amnesty. Fundamentally, the Babylon, you know, they were like deserters or, or they were um, uh, targets, if you will. Of, there, must, there are probably warrants out for their arrest, in effect. But Gedaliah points out that if they and their men say, Fear not to serve the Chaldeans, dwell in the land and serve the king of Babylon, it shall be well with you. In other words, don't make any trouble, be subservient to our new rulers, and it's going to be all right. 
You're not going to be carried off and you're not going to be made slaves. You're not going to be shackled and carried off to Babylon. You're allowed to dwell on the land, but he wants peace. And the presumption of being governor, he apparently had some authority to grant them the authority to remain. Verse 10, as for me, behold, I, I will dwell at Mizpah to serve the Chaldeans, who will come unto us. But ye gather wine and summer fruits and oil, and put them in your vessels, and dwell in your cities that ye have taken. Now here's the insight. See, these, these marauding bands have taken cities. They had their hideouts. They had their, apparently had their places where they, they, uh, they operated from. And so these weren't just uh, vagrants. These were guys that represented semi-rural power blocks. And he's saying, fine, no problem. You know, uh, take, take, take some uh, uh, materials here, put them in your vessels, and go ahead and dwell in your cities. No problem. So that, what's implied here is that Gedalia had the authority to grant this kind of uh, a relief of um, exposure. These guys were, in effect, fugitives. But he's saying, hey, if you serve the Galdeans, uh, everything will be fine. You need to understand that I'm, in, you know, I'm, I'm pledging my allegiance to our new bosses. Okay, they're in charge, you know. Verse 11, Likewise, when all the Jews that were in Moab and among the Ammonites and in Edom, these are neighboring pagan uh, places, that some of the Jews under all this per persecution had fled to, all right? And that were in all the countries, heard that the king of Babylon had left a remnant of Judah, and that he had set over them Gedaliah, the son of Ahikim, the son of Shaphan, even all the Jews, returned out of all the places where they were driven, and they came to the land of Judah, to Gedaliah, unto Mitzvah, and gathered wine and summer fruits very much. Babylonians are not stupid. See, instead of having a scorched earth policy, their concept was, which I think is a very, very perceptive one, instead of just going through and slaughtering everybody, Hey, they let a remnant, the poor, stay there. And also, they let delegate the authority that those that would come back and want to settle and keep it peaceful, fine, no problem. They just want, they want it quiet, okay? And they also did interesting that they pointed a Jew in charge, Gedalia. And as long as you guys behave yourselves, hey, we'll work with it. Now, a couple things you got to know to really smell what's coming. Gedalia was not of the house of David. He was appointed by the Babylonians to be in charge. Very straightforward administrative procedure. He also was a pious man, and they apparently had a lot to commend him as being a guy that people would rally around. Evidence of that, they were rallying around him. When they heard the Babylonians left a remnant there, didn't just scorch it, they left a remnant, and they put a Gedalia in charge. Hey, that's all right, let's go back home. Maybe it'll be okay. Maybe we'll manage. So the, the, the choice was probably not a bad one. What Gedalia didn't think through because he wasn't very politically savvy. He should have thought, now, this guy, Ishmael, is of the house of David. Uh-oh. You see, we got a pretender to the throne here. He's not of the royal part of the family, but he is one of the other descendants of David. He can claim Davidic ancestry. And that becomes, behind that phrase, any intelligent administrator would say, Footnote in the dossier, ambitious. Watch him. He's dangerous. A cynical Machiavellian prince would knock him off before he got a chance because of the, the, just the implied threat in the situation. Gedalia does, he's not, that's not, he's not kind of that cloth. You know, he's, he's a peacemaker. 
unfortunately, a naive peacemaker. And those are the most dangerous kind. Verse 13. Moreover, Johanan, the son of Keriah, and all the captains of the forces that were in the fields, came to Gedaliah to Mitzpah, and said unto him, Dost thou certainly know that Baalus, the king of the Ammonites, hath sent Ishmael, the son of Nathaniah, to slay thee? What, make, what Johanan is alleging is that Ishmael, prior to this, was in the, top, in the country of Ammon. And Ishmael made a deal with the king of Ammon, this guy by the name of Baalus. The deal that what Ishmael promised or pledged to King Baalus of the Ammonites is that he's going to kill off Gedaliah. Now, you may wonder, what's all that about? Why would he share? Well, let's see. I've got a few notes. I think I dug up a little bit of background on our friend Baalus here. Not a lot, so relax. It's, yeah, I know I can tell you more than you really want to know about King Baalus, but Baalus has a history of being, of, uh, of the Ammonites, of being, they, they are uncomfortable with the strong Judah. And one of the fears that Baalus is very likely to have, he's afraid that Judah may rise to power again. He doesn't have any stock with the, the, the Babylonians. They're really running things. But the one thing he doesn't want to have is a strong Judah again. And so that's one possibility. Baalus was an ally of Zedekiah. But Baalus also is an enemy of the Babylonians. Now, you can't get too frisky because they're obviously very, very powerful. I don't know the exact ratios, but I imagine that... Uh, Baalus has all the leverage over Babylon that Finland has of the Soviet Union. I mean, you know. So the family of uh, Gedalia is uh, a Hyken, and that family opposed a league that Baalus wanted back in chapter 27. So there's some bad blood, if you will. The fact that, first of all, Baalus was had a friend, an ally in Zedekiah, and Zedekiah was brutalized by the Babylon. Now he took him slaves with him you know, slaughtered his son, put out his eyes, you know. That's got to really anger his former allies, namely Baalus. So Baalus apparently has a real thing, in, a real interest in getting Gedalia knocked off and apparently recruits or motivates or gets a pledge out of Ishmael to do that. Ishmael has his own agenda being of the house of David, it turns out. By the way, the name of King Baalus was found in a Siron bottle that's dated 667 to 580 B.C., which is very possibly not certain, but could be the very Baalus we're reading about here. There's some scholars that believe it is, but who knows? little background. And one thing I started running into a lot of is various elements and place names and people of this period in the London Museum and stuff. And you can, I can dig up all those notes, but I don't know what you do with that stuff. It's just, you know, kind of interesting to know that it's there if you read what chases you. And you know, a good archaeological uh, uh, commentary will help you with that stuff if you have a you know, an appetite to dig into that stuff but is interesting in some sense. So anyway, um, Ishmael appears to have made this pledge, okay, and one of his fellow guerrilla leaders, Johanan, is not too excited about that idea. Johanan's no little namby-pamby guy. You're going to find he's a, he's a guerrilla leader. He's another one of these guys. And he, but he goes to Gedalia and pips him off. Hey, buddy, you better know what's going on here. Now, if you and I were Gedalia, you know, you'd at least get suspicious, you know. 
You don't go ready, fire, aim or something, but you do something. In verse 14, Dost thou certainly know that Balas, the king of the Ammonites, hath sent Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, to slay thee? But Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, believed them not. And uh, so he appears to just not on the face value. We don't know whether it's personality or the other details, but uh, Gedaliah, amazingly, just doesn't believe it. That's okay, but you'd think he would, you know, double lock the doors or something. Verse 15, then Johanan, the son of Kerias, spoke to Gedaliah in Mitzpah secretly. Now, see, apparently the first time may have been in public. We had some kind of administrative council chamber, and there could be some very good reasons for administrator to, for politics or something, say nonsense, that's, I trust him, you know. But Johanan goes to Gedaliah in private. Once again saying, let me go, I pray thee, and I will slay Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, and no man shall know it. Why should he slay thee, that all the Jews who are gathered unto thee should be scattered, and the remnant in Judah should perish? Interesting insight. We don't know if this is just an argument, or if it's really where Johanan is coming from. What he's worried about, and it's valid, isn't Gedalia's life. That's one aspect. That's the personal aspect. Johanan recognizes the value in that the person of Gedalia being acceptable to these tribes and groups give at least some hope of regathering the land peaceably. If he is slaughtered by some assassination plot, it can't bode well for the people. Johanan is bright. He's smart. There's a very real issue there. Okay? And uh, so, he's worried that all the Jews that gathered into these should be scattered, and the remnant in Judah should perish. But Gedaliah the son of Achim said unto Johanan the son of Keriah, Thou shalt not do this thing, for thou speakest falsely concerning Ishmael. Now, for Gedaliah to put the, the kibosh on an assassination plot in Ishmael, that's understandable, it's appropriate. But for him to just somehow not take other precautions is, is irresponsible. He has, he has an obligation to his office as well as to his life. Verse 41, chapter 41, verse 1. Now it came to pass in the seventh month that Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, the son of Elishama, the, of the seed royal. Now, see, that's the first clue you get. But if you knew that earlier, you'd say, uh-huh. See, that's part, of the, that's part of the dynamics going on here. And one of the princes of the king, even ten men with him. Now, these ten guys, there's eleven altogether. You're going to be amazed at what these eleven guys pull off. These guys are roughnecks. Came unto Gedaliah, the son of Hikim, uh, to Mispah. And there they did eat bread together in Mitzvah. Now, visual, this is a scene sort of analogous to the upper room. I mean, you've got the leader there, Gedalia. You've got a group of people that include, not limited to, but apparently include these 11. In fact, excuse me, I guess there are just the 11 guys, but they're eating together, and they're eating bread together. There's a tone here of trust, candor, fellowship, right? But his, the, his own familiar friend in whom he trusted lifts up his heel against him. That's Psalm 41.9 applied to the Messiah, but there's a, there is a crude analogy here. Verse 2, Then arose Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, and, and the ten men that were with him, and smote Gedaliah, the son of Hikim, and the son of Shaphan, with the sword, and slew him, whom the, Babylon, the king of Babylon had made governor over the land. So it's just, it's just a uh, brutal, bloody, 
scene where the uh, get uh, Ishmael and his ten rise up and slaughter Gedaliah. He was forewarned. Now, verse 3 doesn't stop there. This thing moves. Ishmael also slew all the Jews that were with him, even Gedaliah, Mitzpah, and the Chaldeans that were found there, and the men of war. So there's a bunch there at Mitzpah. The whole administration of the land was at Mitzpah. There were apparently some Babylonians, administrators of various kinds. They're obviously Gedaliah's staff, right? And, and also some men of war. They're all slaughtered by Ishmael and these ten guys. These eleven guys were obviously skilled. They're devious, conspiratorial, but also skilled. They, they knocked this all off in such a way that they're going to keep a secret for a while, or try. I mean, they cleaned house. This isn't just, you know, assassination. It's not a, a Julius Caesar thing where one guy's on the steps and you rally the rest of them. No, he, they went and slaughtered everybody involved, apparently. Ishmael slew, verse 3, Ishmael slew all the Jews that were, were with him, even with Gedaliah at Mitzpah and the Chaldeans that were found there and the men of war. And it came to pass the second day after he'd slain Gedaliah, and no man knew it. See, this whole thing was kept. There were no witnesses. They didn't take any prisoners, does they? Verse 5, that there came certain men from Shechem and from Shiloh and from Samaria. Okay. These people are from the area that today is called Nabulus, or Nablus, which is a really dangerous place to go today for not very different reasons. It's interesting how history continues. Hegel, I said that. Didn't Hegel say that? History teaches us that man learns nothing from history. Rough time then, too. Let's watch what happens here. With the, there are certain men that came from Shechem, from Shiloh, and from Samaria. Even four score men. There's how much is a score? Twenty. Everybody knows the Gettysburg Address. Knows that how many men are here? Eighty. Right. Four score men. Having their beard shaved, their clothes torn, and having cut themselves with offerings and incense in their hand to bring them to the house of the Lord. That's complicated. There's a lot going on here. These 80 guys, um, and by the way, these 80 guys, all but 10 of them, are going to get slaughtered by these 11 again. These 11 guys are rough. You know, they're Capone types. Um, yeah, they, the, the 10 were taken prisoners because they got greedy. They also figured they'd stash some food in a cistern, so they, they, uh, they kept 10 as hostages, so to speak. But a uh, couple of things that are complicated. The Josiah had thrown down all the altars uh, of the idols up north. These particular guys are a strange uh, mix of things. On the one hand, they've come here to offer, to, to worship. So they are faithful, at least in some sense, the direction. And yet, they also evidence heathen manners. The fact that they have shaven beards is inappropriate. The fact that they have rent clothes, they're ceremonially rent, that was prohibited in the Torah. And they also have gashes, they had been, they're ceremonial gashes uh, that they do. Now, uh, the, uh, um, uh, this is also not only a pagan rite that's associated normally with Baal worship. They had a style of cutting themselves ceremoniously to, as, a, as a mechanism of expression. And um, the... Um, 
you see some evidence of this in Mount Carmel with Elijah, where the priests of Baal were pleading for the, their God to bring down lightning and start off their offering in the big contest that Elijah had staged. And as the, in the evening he started, they were cutting themselves and so forth. Well, that was their way of intensifying their expression. That was associated with that. Incidentally, prohibited in Deuteronomy 14.1. The Torah didn't, you know, expressly told you not to do that. All kinds of things like that. Your Torah does not allow you. Tattoos, all those kinds of things are prohibited in the Torah and gashing among them. And that was part of the ceremonial observance of, of, of idolatry. You included these kinds of things. So these people, but it's a little confusing to your first reading because, because they are victims of that cultural background doesn't necessarily mean they're unbelievers. There's a lot of debate about exactly who they were and why and stuff. Um, uh, a good example, there are, there are Christian faiths today that are intensely entangled in practices that are not biblical. Um, graven images and and all kinds of non-biblical ideas doesn't mean that they're not believers in Christ. It just means they carry a lot of baggage with them that happens to be wrong or non-biblical. These could be very analogous to that. They carry traditions that emerged from the events of the last few generations up north, but um, the uh, and incidentally, these are not Samaritans in the classical sense because the whole Samaritan thing really emerges after the exile. Seventy years from now, when they come back from captivity, that's when the, 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 some of these practices get muddied up, and that's where we have emerging out of that period what you and I associate as a Samaritan. The Samaritan of the New Testament comes from a tradition of, of worship and issues that emerge post-exile, I believe, if I'm correct. Now, these 80 guys then come to, bear in mind, now see, Mitzvah was the headquarters. It was sort of the the, the 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 current uh, administrative capital, and that's where people. And there apparently was some kind of a a um, at Mispa, some kind of a place to offer offerings, some kind of a, a shrine or something. So they came to uh, to uh, with offerings and incense in their hand to bring them to the house of the Lord. So at least in some sense, they're believers. They're not idol worshippers, except having this penalty of tradition with them, if you will. Okay. And you read this just cold is a little confusing because it certainly sounds like idol worship. What are they doing there in the Lord? See, so this is part of the time. Now, here's Ishmael, this leader again. He's a devious dude here. The son of Nethaniah uh, went forth from Mitzvah to meet them. Now notice this guy, theatrical, weeping all along as he went. And it came to pass as he met them, he said of them, Come to Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam. And it, was so, and it was so, when they came to the center of the city, that Ishmael the son of Nethaniah slew them and cast them into the middle of the pit, that he and the men that were, that were with him. There is a pit we're going to read about here, uh, well, we read about a few, in a few verses, and that apparently was built some 400 years earlier, very famous cistern in effect. And that's where he threw all these bodies. The thing is, which is stupid. It was not only wrong for lots of reasons, it was also dumb because the bodies pollute the water system to the mitzvah. It's a cistern. It's a huge, deep cistern. That's where it was a convenient place to dump all these bodies so you could cover up the slaughter that has been going on through who knows how many. And so when these 80 show up, they're coming with their, and we don't know if it's just 80 or if it's the 80 plus their entourage, you know, but in any case, this group comes and they go out to meet him, and through deviousness and subterfuge, let them think everything's great and weeping and whatever that's all about, brings them into town. 
Why? For an ambush. And so he slaughters all but 10. Now, why didn't they slaughter the 10? It has been tradition in groups like that to leave Vettel in cisterns in fields on the way for the trip back or whatever. And bear in mind, this land has been famine-ridden, so food is a non-trivial resource. And so the presumption, what seems to underlie the story is, is that there was either information or a presumption that these people had placed provisions along the way, typically hidden them in cisterns for maybe the route back home. And so they don't slaughter all 80, they keep 10 hostages and presumably torture them to find out where there's more food hidden. Neat bunch of guys. Sounds like Chicago in the 30s. Huh? Okay. Verse 8, But ten men were found among them that said unto Ishmael, Slay us not, oh yeah, excuse me here, I missed this part, yeah, slay us not, for we have stores in the field of wheat and barley and oil and of honey, so he forbear and slew not them among their brethren. But now the pit in which Ishmael had cast all the dead bodies of the men whom he had slain because of Gedalia, was that which Asa the king had made for fear of Baasha, the king of Israel. This is 400 years earlier. It's just a historical reference that, that, uh, that is put here for us. And Ishmael the son of Nethaniah filled it with those who were slain. Yeah, I'm sorry, I forgot. There was express uh, information that these guys had the funeral. Verse 10. Then Ishmael carried away captives, the captive, all the residue of the people that were in Mitzpah, even the king's daughters, and all the people that remained in Mitzpah, whom Nebuzardan, the captain of the guard, had committed to Gedaliah, the son of Hakim, and Ishmael, the son of Nethani, carried them away uh, captive and departed to go over to the Ammonites. See, uh, Ishmael very much here is the pawn or the cat's paw, if you will, of uh, a King Bayless of the, of the Ammonites. So he promised that he would slaw, uh, sl uh, you know, slaughter Gedalia, which he did, and he went at it and, uh, and uh, uh, you know, um, did a number on those people. You've been listening to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher was Chuck Missler, teaching through the book of Jeremiah. Download the new K-House TV app to access an ever-growing collection of free resources. Visit the Apple or Android app store and search K-House TV on your Roku or Fire TV streaming device. Thank you for listening to 6640 and for your continued prayerful support of this ministry. Until next time, as we continue this series, may God bless you with the knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ, as you study His Word.